Good afternoon, and welcome to the first episode of the Geo Boys podcast. I'm your host, Tanner. Joining me today are Michael. Hello there. Matthew. Howdy. And Mason. Hello. And this is the intro episode to the Geo Boys podcast. Since this is the intro episode, we will talk more about who we are and why we have a general interest in geoscience. Um, as you could probably gather from the description of this podcast, it is for undergraduates talking about their interests within geoscience. And so my overall goal for this podcast, um, Michael, I think I started talking to you about this project the earliest, um, but I've been kind of formulating the ideas for a podcast for about a year now in which um, it would perform kind of an outreach service for the geosciences and it now it has become basically us talking about our experiences in geoscience and hopefully relaying some uh, geology information but also just for those to hear what it is like in the geoscience major at large because I didn't state so earlier, I should say that we, all four of us, are third-year general geoscience majors at the University of Texas, and we belong to the Jackson School of Geoscience, um, but we are in no way affiliated with any organization or um, research group in that part. We are simply doing this as a freelance project of our own. And so that is a good place to start. Um, first of all, how did y'all become interested in the geosciences? Well, that is a very, very long story. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I can I can just start with me. Um, uh, hi there again. My name is Michael Chaponi. Uh, I am a third year uh, general geology student at the moment uh, at, at the Jackson School of Geosciences. Um, my specialty is at the moment vertebrate paleontology, and I have interests in paleontology and the wider natural sciences as a whole. Um, so it is kind of on the edge of uh, the geosciences and biology, kind of on that nice middle line. Um, and I have had an obsession with nature and especially with the nature of the past, thus paleontology, since I can remember. There was never a time where I wasn't uh, interested in the way that the world works, the way that animals interact, the way that animals interacted in the past, uh, in the past especially. And as I grew older, I started to learn more and reach out for more experiences in the field. Um, whether that be just reading every book that I could find or getting out and going out into the creeks behind my house in the woods and looking for small geologic and biologic treasures like uh, cicada shells and uh, various different bivalve fossils from uh, kind of the late Cretaceous. Um, and it just kind of never left. And the more I learned, the more I expanded my horizons beyond, especially, obviously, as a kid, I was into dinosaurs. A lot of kids were. The more I learned about the wider horizons of what there was to learn about, 
the more I became interested in just all of it, all of it was amazing. Um, and now I work in a paleontology focused lab, uh, looking at the evolution of birds and both how they work in the modern and how they have worked in the past. Great. Thank you, Michael. Um, who would, who else would like to share their story? I can go next. Uh, like Michael, my, I'm also a third year. My name is Matthew Riley. Uh, I think the other three are probably a little sick of the story that I have because I've probably seen it too many times. But usually a lot of people say is that like what you end up doing is really dependent on where you grow up and kind of like what you experience when you're very young because that really forms an impression on you. My dad, who moves around a lot before I was born, he's a petroleum engineer, um, I had the opportunity to live in Alaska for about 10 years of my life. And especially in a region that's incredibly geologically active. From a young age, you know, I got to experience everything from earthquakes, got to see the gold mine or gold rush economy up there, got to see all of that. Even got to uh, experience and see the volcano explode across the bay. And as a kid, that really forms an impression on you. One of the most terrifying, but amazing things to see and hear is something like of that scale exploding. Um, I guess what really decided to put me down the path of geochemistry, that's kind of where I differ from Michael, is, or I was really interested in like where things came from, you know, where like the metals that you see, where um, everything that we have, like in our houses, like where it came from. And also because just they looked cool. And as a kid, shiny objects are pretty, uh, <laughs> they catch your eye. Um, and that kind of brought me into the field of geology, really. And I ended up at the Jackson School mostly because both my parents were alumni. And my dad was like, hey, got to do some geology. But it really formed, I think the main impression was like growing up in Alaska. Uh, and that really sticks with me today. Uh, I do research. I can get more into it later, of course, when we focus more on that. But my research is directly geochemically related. I study dynamics of plate tectonics and their impacts on elemental distribution within our Earth. Um, but of course, I'll get more into that later if we need to. But that's my spiel. <laughs> and thank you, Matthew. Um, Mason, would you like to share your interests? Yeah. All right. So mine's less, I guess, pertinent to my life experiences. Like, I never exactly, like, saw anything super cool geologically from a young age or anything like that. Like, I mean, I've done, like, camping trips and stuff, like I've gone to Yosemite and stuff, like seeing those actual geologic formations is really cool, but I don't think I've ever been in an earthquake or something like that. So I think in Texas there are minor ones pretty frequently, we just don't feel them. But mainly, uh, my interest in geology kind of started young as well. Like Michael, there was, in fact, a creek near my house. Mm -hmm. Can you believe it? In Texas, a creek with fossils in it? And that really caught my eye. I'm like, this is cool. 
I don't really know what this is, but I like finding these rocks with things on them. And basically, as I was going through high school, like I was wondering, uh, what am I going to go to college for? What can I make money in? What do I like? And so, like, a lot of my family is actually in some geology-related stuff. Like, uh, on my mom's side, my uncle's actually the owner of a metering and testing company out in Hobbs, New Mexico. And my cousin, Cole, he actually works for the Bingham Copper Mine. Like, it's Rio Tinto's the company, I believe. And I just said, maybe I'll give that stuff a try. And so I saw geophysics was a pretty in-demand field, so I just decided to hop into that as my career path. So, I mean, nothing really too special that spurred me into this. It was just kind of like a, I see people in my family doing it. I'm interested in the earth. So I just decided to. Great. And as for me, like I said before, my name is Tanner. Um, my interests are in paleomicrobiology. And um, like Michael, I gained an interest into paleontology at a very young age. I feel like most kids generally have some interest in, in dinosaurs and what life was like before us. And I just found that really appealing. And um, the more I began to see um, life before us in media, in, I mean, of course, the famous example is Jurassic Park, but also in television programs, documentary style programs, it, it became really apparent that this is an important part of our our past as as occupants of the earth and so i wanted to explore that further and i knew i wanted to study life but i didn't know where i wanted to go with that um and so when i began to come to ut and i started experiencing um looking at thin sections under microscope looking at these rocks under microscope it was like a whole new side of geology that doesn't really seem to be exposed to the public really and so i wanted to dive deeper into that because it's basically a world of biology and paleontology that doesn't get a lot of attention and so i found it so interesting how complex it could get for being so small so Michael, you kind of, like, you alluded to this at the beginning, but actually all of us did, that our interests began very early, and um, I mentioned mine was mainly through pieces of media like documentaries or movies, but um, where do y'all think y'all's interests specifically came from? I mean, Mason, yours came in large part through your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really nothing major. Like Michael said, I also had a dinosaur book, perhaps, at some point in my life, and that really piqued my interests. But I never really caught on to the whole paleopath like Michael did. It's really, I guess, what you experience, what you think is nice. I, I don't know. <laughs> no, I, I get what you mean. Um, it I mean, I mean, it absolutely, as, as Matthew told in his story, it's entirely part of how you experience your surroundings and 
where that came from and so I wanted to just dive a little deeper into that yeah and I was always big on my earth science classes in high school really loved those even though like I did experience like quite a bit like at the end of the day it really was kind of like what was going around like, like within my family as well like I did kind of briefly my, my dad was a petroleum engineering so he knew about the field and was just like and he saw that I was interested in it so he was just like oh well there's this field you can go into and honestly if i didn't have that if i didn't have somebody to say like oh this is a science that exists i probably would not have gone into it i can say that for sure yeah i think for me i definitely had a lot of uh, influence from media kind of like tanner did um, at a young age, obviously, I watched Jurassic Park. I watched all of that stuff when I was young. Walking with dinosaurs was a big one. Walking with beasts and et cetera about mammals. Um, but for me, a lot of what kept me going um, in paleo and also just in the natural sciences as a whole was actually getting out and experiencing nature for myself. Like I said, I would just kind of go out and uh, go down in a creek and start looking for stuff and see what interesting things I would find, um, whether that be little bivalves or a lizard running around that I had no idea what it was or a new type of bird, um, some sort of uh, like various different fossils I didn't wouldn't know what they were until much later, but I would try to label my collection uh, as it grew, and I, I would read for hours. Um, I would also draw a lot. I drew far too much um, on the margins of my schoolwork. I would doodle little uh, prehistoric animals and whatnot, slowly developing their accuracy as I learned more about them, um, which continues to this day. And yeah, it was just any time I got to go anywhere. I would always be looking down for something that I could find that would tell me about either the way that ecosystems work now and why they work and how we interact with them or how they used to work in the past. The idea of all of these pretty much infinite worlds lost to time that we can't physically access, we can't walk around in them we can envision them in our, in our minds using the evidence that we find in the rock record as well as in modern animals and that's kind of what kept me going was just the idea that we have access to these worlds if you know how to read them i have to agree with all those points y'all put it really eloquently and i y'all also touched on the fact that what i think is truly one of the best experiences of geology as an undergrad is the fact that unlike a lot of majors we have the ability to actually get out in the field and to make these experiences our own which is something very unique at least i feel definitely yeah getting to take field trips and stuff like that and finally have people who are really knowledgeable ruined by and... covid by the way i'd like to add oh of course yeah covid decided to... our whole field methods class which is all about field trips like second half of it after spring break was like virtual stuff which was 
absolutely soul crushing. Geology is incredibly hands on, and that was something that kind of destroyed our education. Yeah, but in the times where we could, at least, um, the ability to get to take a field trip um, and have people who are knowledgeable in the subject more than anyone probably I've ever met. I mean, I've never before college met geology professors, really. I'd run into one or two uh, vertebrate paleontologists, which was always awesome when I was younger, I loved meeting them. Um, but like, I'd never gotten to go on a field trip with one and have them tell me, okay, this is what this means. When you see cross bedding, you know, there was either a river here or possibly uh, ocean waves moving back and forth in shallow water or uh, various different facies that tell you this place used to look different. It used to look like this. And this is how you know was amazing and even more than ever after those trips i wanted to show other people and say look these things surround us every day like you can do this too anyone can do this regardless of whether you're an official geologist or not this stuff surrounds everyone and it kind of connects all of us because we walk on it every day yeah absolutely and like I think y'all summarized it well. We we have had some setbacks due to the COVID situation. That might be a topic for another time. But at the end of the day, I think the way we've we've persevered through it, we've been able to handle it. Not just us as individuals, but the Jackson School as a department has been able to handle it. Is very the whole of UT as well. Like they shut down everything. Oh, absolutely. It's it's just astounding how. I mean, relatively well things have gone in our fields because of it. And um, I I guess that's a good segue to talk about how the four of us are all involved in research, and we've only started to become involved in research over the past year or so. And at this time, you know, we have, we might not have been able to go to the field to actually do field work for our research, but we've still been able to grow in our own research respectively because of these events. So let, let's open the floor to talk a little about how you became interested in your research and what your research is. Yeah, uh, so currently I work under Dr. Julia Clark in a lab uh, here at the Jackson School. We focus Again, I'm kind of on this line between geol or like the geosciences and biology as well. So we have an even mix of times that we focus on geosciences and on modern animals. Specifically, we work a lot on birds. Um, and right now, I work on the bird vocal organ known as the syrinx, uh, which is a completely unique uh, vocal organ among any animal. They are the only animal on the planet that has this thing that they use to make sound. Most things use what's called a larynx, which is uh, kind of, what do they call that? That's your Adam's apple. It's up in the very top of your throat. Uh, whereas the syrinx is down at the base of the trachea or your, your windpipe, uh, where it splits off into the lungs. It's located right there, and it can, allows them to do 
a load of really interesting things with how they make sound. But we really want to understand how this thing came to do the things that it does today. Because it wildly varies in shape and structure among all sorts of different kinds of birds. And I work on a particular group called paleognates, which are kind of understudied. That's uh, animals like the ostrich, the emu, the cassowary, uh, the rhea, even the kiwi, the little bitty dudes from... Uh, the rhea? I don't think I've heard of that. Yeah, the rhea is a South American sort of emu-looking bird, but it's a little smaller. Um, kind of like Kevin from Up. It's a lot. They, all of these guys are very much like Kevin from Up, aside from the Tinamus, who are more like a... Uh, and they've got sort of a chicken look to them. They're, they're small, about chicken size, and they are partially volant, meaning they can fly a little, but they don't fly a lot. Um, okay. Yeah, they've, they've got more diversity than people know, and their vocal organs are very understudied. So we want to understand how they came to be the way they are. Because this group is one of two sister clades of all birds. There are paleognates, this group, and everything else is closer related to each other than paleognates. Um, and because of that, we might be able to look at paleognate syrinxes and get a better idea of what the ancestral syrinx was like. Because the oldest fossils we have of the syrinx, which, yes, by the way, it's soft tissue, but we do have some fossil syrinxes. The oldest ones we have, even though they're really old, they're from the... Uh, like the late Cretaceous, about 66 million years ago, of Antarctica. They're from a full-on, um, like, what, what they call neognath, meaning more derived than a paleognath bird. Um, and, yeah, so we don't have a great idea of what the ancestral series looked like. So we're hoping to start to unravel that problem a little bit here. Um, we don't know exactly when they developed. We don't know if it was a dinosaur thing, because, for, by the way, for anyone who doesn't know, birds are living dinosaurs, blowing minds every day. I love it. And we don't know if it was a dinosaur thing or if it was a bird-specific thing. So we're trying to unravel that question. Um, and the more I learned about, again, I talked a little bit about broadening my horizons earlier. Certainly, uh, Tanner, I think you experienced this as, as well. When I was younger, I definitely was into dinosaurs. That was my thing. That was my main oh, thing. absolutely. But as I, I learned more about the field, the more I realized the fossil record doesn't just record dinosaurs. There's so much more. It records every living thing that has ever lived. Period. Everything. That's so much life, and it's all interacted with each other in different ways and developed in strange, wonderful ways. Um, and so right now my avenue is birds, but I also have a general interest in all sorts of life, as well as communicating how that stuff works to the general public through science outreach. So even the local pigeons are recent dinosaurs. Keep that in mind. They really are. It's Bad respect to pigeons for adapting to life in the city. Ah, oh, oh, yes, the local sky rats. <laughs> well, I can provide some input on my own stuff, and I can actually talk about how I initially did research in a field that I was not interested in, 
and then was able to get out of it. So I kind of talked about how I was interested in geochem, and I knew that going into um, freshman year. Um, and the first step that it took to really get into that field was to talk to my introductory geology course professor, whose name was uh, Dr. Breaker, who was like, yeah, come into my lab, you know, come experience it, see what you like. And if you don't like it, then well, you can move on, try to find something different. Essentially, what I was looking at was soils. I was doing data analysis and interpretation on isotopes within volcanic soils. Um, but I still knew that I wanted to do geochem. And the thing was, is that that was more low temperature geochemistry, stuff that you see, you know, like on the surface, something that's like exposed to weathering processes, stuff like that. But my interest was more on the high temperature end. And that's kind of where I am now. Um, Dr. Breaker's wife, Dr. Jamie Barnes, um, does the higher end of that spectrum. And she focuses more on the interior of our Earth and processes within it. Um, I don't want to go too much into depth about it because it's it's a lot of terminology. It's a lot. Of, it's really gross. But my research is essentially just like a big mystery. Uh, there's a, our Earth. Our Earth is very complicated, and specifically within the field of geochemistry, we try to answer questions that directly correlate to elements, minerals, and chemical compounds. Uh, the Earth's outer surface is composed of multiple plates and they uh, interact with each other quite a bit. You know, you see that in the San Andreas Fault where two plates are sliding across each other. You see that in the Himalayas where two plates are colliding and forming mountains. Um, my research is specifically in an interaction where one plate goes beneath another one, known as uh, subduction zones. Now, the bulk question I'm trying to answer is that when that plate goes down beneath, it takes with it a lot of elements, takes with it a lot of rocks, a lot of minerals, and they get brought down deeper within our Earth. Now, eventually that stuff melts, of course, and it percolates upwards, magma, and it forms volcanoes, and it gets re-released. It's like a cycle almost. Things get dragged into the Earth, they melt, they go back up, and they get released into the atmosphere. And then, of course, they eventually come back out and like rain, and they get sucked back, sucked back in. Big giant cycle. But the thing that I'm focusing on is that some elements are not that simple. Uh, some elements are brought down within to our Earth that are measured within the, at the subduction zone, but when they're released from the volcano, they're not in the same amount. So there's this question of where are they at? How come more is being brought down to the Earth than it is being released? Um, this is pretty important, especially uh, with specific elements like carbon. Carbon is linked to, of course, altering our climate on very short-term and long-term scales. And being able to quantify that and understand it is pretty important both for our generation and our future generations. Um, other elements I've looked at are just like heavy metals, uh, halogen groups like chlorine and fluorine, and kind of assessing 
what are they doing? You know, why are they getting stuck down there? What minerals are they in? And how much is there? And how does that impact us as humans? There's a lot more to it, of course. I'm leaving out a lot because it can get very terminology heavy, but that's the bulk of it. I can safely say that it's definitely in, in my interest. Um, and if I hadn't experienced something like not liking something I was first getting into, like that soil, I, I definitely wouldn't be in it. I, I can safely say I can say though that uh, originally I was supposed to um, compare data here on Earth to that of Mars, but unfortunately I wasn't able to because um, the data that I had to collect would be tremendous, like massive. So I had to stick here to Earth. But that is pretty much mine for my spiel. And y'all can add on to it, talk about your experiences, and we can see from there. Mm. All right. Well, my side of it's a lot more simple. Uh, basically, we are in Jackson Scholars. Well, uh, me, Michael, and Matthew. We're all in Jackson Scholars. We have two mentors, main mentors. Uh, that would be Joel Johnson and Mary Poteet. Yeah, she uh, she's the other mentor. Basically, they sent out a text. They're saying, here's this guy. He's doing geophysical research. Is anybody interested? And being my major is geophysics, I'm like, I, I jumped on this because I didn't have any prior research experience. I wanted some hands-on. And it actually turned out to be really cool stuff. So what we're doing is, uh, the professor's name is Nicola Tosato. He he's not exactly a professor. I think he's the the official term is a uh, what is it? It's not assistant professor. Associate. Associate professor. Yes. And so he does. Uh, he runs the rock deformation lab, which I'm a part of. And so basically, what our experiment was is he set up uh, two geophones inside of the UT stadium and actually recorded the vibrations that were produced during these football games. And these weren't just running during the football games, but they were running like for months at the time. And so we have like an incredible amount of data. And so the, the whole idea was we were actually just comparing the efficacy of using a, a cheap, little geophone on a microcomputer called a Raspberry Pi versus like a professional instrument, which is like an MBV2. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a professional seismometer. You can bury those things, they're crazy. But the, the whole idea is we're seeing, does a $200 instrument stack up to a thousands of dollar instrument that you can like bury in the earth and leave it forever? And what I'm doing with it is I've actually been using MATLAB to just look at the data during these games. And you can actually see the correlation between them. They're incredibly close. Like, I can actually look at a time when I recorded a touchdown occurred. And so I can look at, like, seismographs that were produced from MATLAB code. And I can actually see the vibrations that resulted from the crowd in a cannon that they'll actually fire. And so I can see like a sharp spike, like just a jump on the graphs. And it's, it's really cool to be able to see and actually toy with these instruments that are very pertinent to geophysics as a whole. Like 
that's earthquake detection, like rock falls, volcanoes, use geophones and everything. And oh, and the big one, of course, is like, like oh, I forget the name of it, official name, but it's it's subsurface imaging, like where you'll actually send vibrations into the ground. They'll bounce back up, and you'll use what the geophones collect to construct a two. 2D slice of the Earth, and you can actually do a 3D slice as well by using multiple arrays of them. You can do amazing stuff with geophones. So the whole idea is just being able to use cheap ones in this manner. But I think I've enjoyed this fairly well. It was it was easy to get into. The professor's incredibly nice. Like even though my my knowledge behind these instruments and the code behind it was very small at the time I got started with this. Like I've slowly gotten more comfortable with this, like talking in front of people, these big wig professors, like it's, it's a whole world. You just gotta dive into it. It's not as scary as it looks, I guess. You just gotta talk to the right people first. Great, yeah. Um... And as for me, I am interested in, well, my research is looking at benthic foraminifera, which are a microscopic protist, and um, I'm looking at them from the time interval of the early Jurassic. Um, basically, why I'm looking at them is because these forams, um, which were living in the ocean, are incorporated into a reef, and reefs were dying off as a result of the Triassic extinction event, which occurred right before the Jurassic. And so what I'm looking at is these reef assemblages, which are bouncing back from their, their recovering from this major extinction event. And what this can tell us is a lot of interesting things about the future of reef systems. Now, clearly we don't know how similar these corals or these forams or any other thing living within these reefs are to those of modern reefs. But at the same time, when we have events like global climate change going on that are severely affecting these reefs in the modern, it, it is our best, at least in my um, experience, it is our best way of being able to predict how these reefs can respond and how they can bounce back for when we eventually fix this long-term problem that, dear God, I hope we fix. But yeah, so I'm also looking at the forams that are taking place within this reef um, at the onset of a minor reef extinction event. Um, called the uh, Tawarshan Oceanic Anoxic event and basically what we had there was um, ocean anoxia, the lack of oxygen on similar levels to what we have uh, or what we are currently experiencing today due to anthropogenic climate change and so um, I'm basically looking at the assemblages of these four M's and how different forams um, begin to occupy niches of forams that died off 
that they were growing alongside. They were initially competing with each other, but due to the um, inability of one foram species to survive, others have the ability to therefore thrive. And I kind of got into this research, like I said before, um, I was looking into microscopes a lot during my sophomore year and thinking, wow, this is a whole unexplored world that I, I had just never been experienced to before. And I, I loved it immediately, and so I got invested into learning about different species of forams. I also had a very similar experience to Matthew where I had to come in freshman year. I didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I knew I had an interest in paleontology. So I joined, um, I joined a lab for vertebrate paleontology, and I, I was not as interested as a, in it as I thought I w originally was. But the um, professor was very accommodating. She was helping me find connections for other research groups. And then I eventually came into contact with Dr. Martindale, who I'm currently doing research with. And that, I think, is one thing about, at least, at least from what I've felt from the Jackson School experience in geoscience, is that we have such a small, tight-knit community that it's very important to make these connections early on, and that that would be something I would try and emphasize is that, you know, um, going and becoming a part of a research group can be scary, but at the end of the day, it is so, so important, and um, the, the um, benefits outweigh the cost. And I hope um, you'll also feel similarly. Oh yeah, most definitely, for sure. All right. Um, well, I I was trying to lead into uh, what advice y'all would give to incoming fresh freshmen or anyone interested in geology at large, and so that would be my piece of advice. Do y'all have anything off the top of your mind? Something I really wished I did was like actually approach these professors in freshman year because I never did that. I didn't actually get involved in any of this till like halfway through my uh, first semester of my sophomore year. So I yeah, started earlier, I guess. Yeah, I can agree with that because like when you first come in as like a freshman, honestly, like you look at a professor, like you're kind of intimidated to like approach them. And, like and you're also trying to like deal with the whole new environment like you're yeah. away from your family you're in a new place like, yeah and yeah. it's very hard to remember that these professors are at the end of the day just people and you know you you treat them They're with not god yeah <laughs> exactly you you treat them you know with respect you know you have that cordial uh student professor relationship but at the end of the day they're just a person and so it shouldn't be that scary to approach them <laughs> and i could say like i didn't approach them by myself uh, another person in our year named laura she and i both kind of tag teamed it and went in together so that way like we kind of felt better about it and we didn't feel too pressured or alone so definitely yeah. if like if you want to talk to a professor and someone else wants to as well just both go 
and it honestly makes a big difference. Yeah, and if you join any sort of like groups that are within your school, like we we've got our Jackson Scholars. I know there's stuff with uh, UGS. You can just get introductions to these people if you feel that threatened. I guess. Yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of of extracurricular um, activities and organizations on campus that do want to provide these connections for you. So please just don't feel afraid to join those and make your voice heard because at the end of the day your your voice and your experience is important in those yeah i guess for me if i was going to give any piece of advice it's just that if you once you find that thing that you love that thing that makes you tick go chase after it with every ounce of your being go find what you love go experience a bunch of a bunch of different fields a bunch of different things and then go chase headlong after that um and open opportunities will open up to you or you will force opportunities open for yourself you'll find a place to uh inhabit your niche so to speak and regardless of whether that's you know, something like paleontology, whether that's geophysics, geochemistry, environmental sciences, it can be, the geosciences is huge. It's full of way more opportunity than people realize, especially moving forward in the future. So if you find what you like, go find a way to do that. And you really can't go wrong from there. That feels like as great a place as any to wrap up. So, um, if you are listening this far, thank you all for joining us, and um, thank you to Michael, Matthew, and Mason for joining me today. No problem. No problem. And um, hopefully see y'all next week with a new podcast recording. See y'all next week. Adios. See you.